Hello, everybody, and welcome. How are you doing? On today's show, we're going to be talking about the most haunted bookshop that there is. Well, at least what some say. Then we're talking about how more children are recalling past lives. And then the paranormal and how sometimes they combine with government agencies. And last but not least, I found an article on a forum board because I love scouring those forum boards to see how people think and whatnot. And I found an article, this is Nervous System Manipulation by Electromagnetic Fields and Monitors Within TVs and, of course, Monitors for Computer. So all that and more when we come back. Let's get started. Welcome to the Shadows of the Moon podcast, where we talk about paranormal, cryptids, UFO and alien encounters, plus other bizarre and strangeness from the interwebs. Whether you're listening on YouTube or any of the multitude of podcasting sites, Thank you so much for being here. All links to what I'm talking about in today's show are down in the description, as well as the links to join our community on Facebook and Discord, and of course, all my other social media platforms. So feel free to get in touch. If you have donated, liked, or shared the podcast out, or even all three, I can't thank you enough. They are so all very much appreciated and remember if you have a story or encounter to share all those links to do so are also down in the description below and remember you can always remain anonymous if you would like just let me know all right let's get started grab your favorite drinks and your snacks and sit back and relax and have a listen today. I am excited for this show, especially that last article. Oh my god, (laughs) it has got my brain in an uproar. But let's get started with the first story, like I said, is a haunted bookstore. A lot of people are saying that this is the most haunted bookshop that there is. Hmm. Shall we see? So, tucked away in a corner of Wellington Plaza in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, which is not too far from me, so I might have to take a trip up to Canada one day and check this out, because I definitely want to check it out. 
Um, there's a charming little bookstore called Rivendell Books, named for the elven kingdom of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, and complete with a little elf printed on the business card. The little bookshop specializes in used, rare, antique, and out-of-print books, and has, according to its owner, Wendy Cahill, has too many books to count. The store was opened about a decade ago, and back in these days, it was used. It used to be that you could basically bring in your books, and a deal could be made right there on the spot. So over the years, the books piled up and is now known as a bit of a paradise for rare book lovers, which is awesome. That's what I would love to go see. <laughs> I want to see what old books they have. But anyway, um. So the books have piled up, and you can spend hours wandering through rows stuffed with old books, immersed in the smell of them and surrounded by walls painted green to invoke the feeling of being in a forest. And there are even chairs to relax in and a kid's section for young ones to play while their parents pursue the aisles. It really seems like a cozy, family-oriented place. Not all... Not at all the sort of place one would expect to find ghosts. Yet, Rivendell Books has gathered a reputation for not only being a haunted bookstore, but indeed one of the most haunted places in Ontario. Kind of crazy. So, Cahill first became aware of the haunting when her and her husband began finding things out of place that neither of them had moved or Either that or books had moved to different locations during the night when the shop was closed. This graduated to finding whole piles of books stacked up on the floor. Cahill says of this, On Saturday nights, my husband and I have a routine where we clean the store. I vacuum and dust from back to front. Then my husband goes from back to front and washes all the floors. And then we go out the front door. When we came back on Sunday, there would be neatly piled stacks of books on the floor, always in the same section, the war section. There's enough room between the shelves that couldn't possibly, they couldn't have fallen, or even if they had fallen, they would have not fallen in a nice, neat pile. It's happened quite a few times, and there's no explanation as far as we know. Nobody else has keys, and I'm not really a believer in ghosts myself. Oddly, the books that were out of place or piled up were always at the, were always the topics of World War One or World War Two, and it was all rather perplexing to be sure. Not long after this started happening, people began reporting seeing an elderly gray-haired man in an old-fashioned clothing wandering about the history section, always around the books on World War I and World War II. And although he looked very real and solid, he would vanish into thin air when anyone tried to talk to him. Although sometimes he was known to wave before doing so. That would be wild to see, right? In some cases, there were reports from customers who claimed that they had been tapped or 
to have to buy a book they are reading pulled away from them by an unseen hand. That wouldn't be cool. <laughs> Visitors and employees would also have incidences of doors shutting on their own or feeling of cold, even in the middle of summer. They have been wit there have been witnesses who saw the ghost without even being in the bookstore. In one, su one such account, a woman standing at the nearby pharmacy saw an elderly man pacing about outside of the bookshop during closed hours, looking agitated, before finally phasing right through the glass storefront to enter the premises. Even stranger than seeing this spectral, World War One or World War buff looking at books is that he is apparently will even follow people who buy books on World War One or World War II home. Kel says, in one such case, a customer once bought, excuse me, sorry, a customer once bought a military book, but brought it back a couple days later, and he was white as a ghost. It was an older book on the First World War. He said, an older gentleman brought, bought the book, but two days later, he brought it back to the store for me. He said, he awakened during the night to see a ghostly figure of an elderly man. The man was walking through his bedroom holding on to the book. He said they made eye contact and the ghost walked into his closet, disappeared, and the book fell to the ground. He was terrified. He said he went to see the minister who told him just to get rid of the book. They brought in a psychic who said that it was an elderly man who had lived through the First and Second World War, who never had any money. Now he's just here wanting to read the books. And when he seen that a customer had taken it home, it was determined that the spirit had been reading that book and wasn't finished before it was bought. Oh, man. Wow, that's crazy. They go on to say that the, the book would pass hands to another customer who reportedly something very similar. The witness claims that the first night he bought the, brought the book home, he woke in the middle of the night to be staring at a sight of an older man standing over his bed, dressed in old-fashioned clothing and with a rope tied around his waist for some reason. The man apparently waved at him before vanishing. The man kept the book, but the following night, his room was filled with a smell of flowers that came out of nowhere. And another night, he awoke to the sound of the ghost flipping through the pages of his book. The last straw was when he woke up to yet another night to find a bright red curtain hanging over his closet door. The man would consult a priest who told him to get rid of the book, so he brought it back. Before long... Cahill realized that the haunting had started when her store had brought in that particular book, implying that perhaps the alleged ghost is not tied to the location itself, but rather than that specific book. Maybe it's about him. You never know. This would be not the this wouldn't be the first case of a haunted item, and tales of the paranormal cover a wide range of such objects. From cars to jewelry, dolls, paintings, even wedding dresses and chairs, among other things, which the ghost has, for whatever reason, bound itself to what is often referred to as a spiritual attachment. Librarian and paranormal writer Helen Power 
has mused on this and brought up a lot of good questions, saying, the story seems to be point to the idea that it's the book itself that is haunted. Why did the ghost follow the customer home? What is so special about that specific book? Who was the previous owner? How did Rivendell Books come to sell it? Were there any sightings of the ghost at Rivendell Books during the weeks that someone owned the book? Is the spirit attached to the book itself? Or is he making nighttime field trips to find his favorite read? If he is haunting the book about World War I, what decade would he have died in? And what's the significance of the rope tied around his waist? Actually, I've heard that before, to where like people that lived during those times had rope belts, basically. Um, I've seen a lot of pictures with that. I don't know what the significance is. If they, maybe he just didn't have a belt. I don't know. But um, it is possible, she said, that the ghost is haunting the book because of its contents, because of what it does or doesn't say about him personally. Was he forgotten? a forgotten war hero who was only mentioned in one specific book? Is this ghost haunting one of the last copies? Hopefully hopeful that his legacy won't be forgotten? There are so many questions that cannot be answered. Rather oddly, although, the haunting at Riverdale Books seems exclusively confined to the history section, and speci specifically around that particular World War I book, there has been at least one serious spooky account from another section of the store, this time dealing with a more macabre book. Power has said this of the case. One day, Kyle Hill was working in the back of the bookstore when she heard a loud thump. She raced toward the source of the sound and found a bio biography of Charles Manson laying on the floor. His dead eyes staring up at her, she stood frozen in terror as the, as the books blew off the shelves all around her. They were caught up by an invisible wind that whipped them through the air and flung them at her feet. It is believable that this ghost would do this, or is it believable that this ghost would do this? This seems to be a great, a great giant stretch from what the spirit has been seen doing previously. And why Charles Manson? You know? Especially if he was obsessed with a World War I book. Why would he be throwing around Charles Manson books? Was he looking to branch out in his reading and didn't like what he learned? Did the content maybe upset him? I mean, I don't blame him. Charles Manson was pretty sick. Still, there's no excuse to throw a tantrum. What was going on here? Right? What is going on here? It's crazy to think about. The haunting of Rivendell Books has over the years drawn an interest from a number of paranormal investigators. One of these is the, um, is the Haunted Barry Meetup Group, which uses equipment such as video cameras, audio recorders, photo cameras, and EMF detectors. Although they did claim to get some strange readings in a shop, they nevertheless explain this as a probably coming from more mundane, mundane phenomena, not evidence of a ghost in this case. Um, <coughs> excuse me. 
sorry. I'm still getting over my cold. Um, so Tara Vandermeulen, assistant or organizer of the group, says the group typically tries to eliminate the more rational explanations before jumping into the conclusion that it's ghosts. And she said this, we wanted to be able to rule things out, like what's a more reasonable explanation? People always get excited when they experience something because, yeah, they want to see a ghost or they don't want to see a ghost. We know that, but we keep try we try to keep them busy and active so they're not looking for things that aren't there. If we get something on recording, we want to be able to rule it out as anything else. And if we can't, we try to reenact it. If we still can't, then potentially it's a good piece of paranormal, paranormal evidence. Everybody wants to believe that there's a ghost. So when you explain stuff away, they don't always love you for it. That is so true. <laughs> we, will still, we still want to have fun, but we also want to educate people. The Paranormal Investigation Ghost, Ghost Girls of Simcoe County apparently investigated the shop and had much more dramatic results. In this case, they claimed that there were many ghosts in Rivendell books and that there is, it was the scariest place they'd ever been. One spirit, they claimed, uh, said to be lurking there is a decidedly malevolent presence. Wow, yeah. Missyisms, <laughs> which says haunts the book room um, in the back room of the store. They claim that when they tried to record in the book room or in the back room, their equipment went haywire and they were able to only capture some fleeting images of dark, shadowy figure. The testimony, plus the incident where the Manson books makes you wonder. If maybe they're right. And there is more than one spirit lurking and haunting the shop. After all, neither of these two cases sound like um, the doing of a kindly old man who, by all accounts, is harmless and just wants to read his books. If there is more than one spirit here, then why should this be? They seem to be no darker or sinister history associated with the shop itself or the land it sits on. So they are they attached to the books as well? Who knows? In the end, we are left to ask, why is this quaint little quiet bookshop circled by such strange phenomenon, and what does it all mean? For now, it's a mystery. That's a pretty cool story. I mean, I definitely still want to go up and explore it, because that would be really cool. Um... But it sounds like there might be more than one spirit there. That book, definitely the guy with the book, the elderly gentleman that probably served in World War One, or World War Two. I mean, I'd like to know what the book was, to be honest with you. I want to know what book it is that he would, you know, go home with people. With. I'm not saying I would buy it, but I would, I would like to check it out and read it. Um, and see what it was about. And maybe he is mentioned in there. Maybe he it's about him. I definitely would love to check that out. As far as the more sinister, 
if that's the only incident um, with the Manson books that came about, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, Ghost Girls, I'm, I watched their show um, a long, long time ago. I'd have to go and rewatch it to remember them. Um, but I don't know. I would definitely, would you check it out? Would you guys go up and check it out? I would love to. I know a couple people that are by there. I wonder if they know about it. I'll have to, maybe I'll reach out to them and uh, see if they would go up there and maybe meet them up there. Because Ontario is honestly not that far away from here. It's just getting over the Peace Bridge because that takes two hours in itself usually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that'd be cool to experience. If I do go up there, I would definitely record and let you guys know. All right, next portion of this would be, oh, hold on one second. What's going on? Okay. That more children are recalling past lives. It's from Mysterious Universe. That was the first one. Like I said, all the links are in the description below, as usual. Um, yeah, so they're saying more children are recalling past lives. It says most people who follow the lore surrounding this topic are familiar with some of the widely publicized cases of young children who appear to describe memories of things that have happened before they were born. Among the most famous is Jonas, James Linegear, who claimed to have memories of being a World War II fighter pilot. If you not, have not heard his story, definitely go check it out because it, it is wild. Um, he supplied many details that match actual events from that era. Some people claim to have debunked the story, but all they have done is all offer alternative explanations. Another was Christopher Hupp, who had believed to have been a New York Yankees legend, Lou Gehrig, in a previous life. There's also Ryan Hammonds, who has childhood memories of working as a Hollywood extra in the 1930s. Other examples abound. Earlier this year, um, who was doing this article? Oh, Jazz Shaw. Um, he said he was contacted by a woman who was direct, directed to me by a mutual friend who knows my interest in obscure topics. Her daughters had been saying things that were eerily similar in tone. Though not involving any famous athletes or actors, the child, child's behavior had not been particularly unusual after first learning to speak, but that changed when she had taken her first uh, day of preschool at age four. That issues began to arise before they had even left the house. The child, who the mother described as normally being good-natured and, you know, began complaining as she was dressed for school, interesting, insisting that she was wearing the wrong clothes. She insisted that she needs to be wearing a dark skirt and a white blouse. Her mother assured her that the new school clothes they had purchased would be fine. Upon 
arriving at the preschool, the woman's daughter again insisted that they were at the wrong place. Upon being brought to the classroom where other parents and children were checking in, her daughter pointed out that the clothing of all the other children and said that they all needed to be dressed in the same. A similar reaction was observed when she was introduced to her teacher. She said the teacher wasn't wearing the proper attire either, saying that it was not how the sisters dressed. She was shown the fenced-in playground behind the school where she claimed that the swings and other equipment were not the same as when I used to go to school. That's crazy. Could you imagine taking your kid to school and them saying that? That caught the mother's attention, and she pointed out that this was her first day of school. Her daughter disagreed, saying that she had um, there should be a particular type of house next door to the yard where they lived, where lived a lady with a mean dog that had bitten her, saying, "I still have the marks pointing out to her hand." Sure enough, the mother has a picture of her daughter's hand. And it does indeed have a U-shaped birthmark, consisting of a series of small, rough, circular blotches between the thumb and forefinger that could be mistaken for a tooth pattern of a small dog. And what do they say, though? They honestly say that birthmarks are how you died in a previous life. I mean, I'm not saying she died from the bite marks, but maybe there's something to that. Um... It appears to be a persistent pigmented birthmark rather than a vascular or um, melanonic, melanonic one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that word. You guys know. You're smart. <laughs> the child appears to have quickly settled into her new school, accepting her new environment and making new friends. So it appears she's doing well. But her mother remembered watching some documentaries about past life memories and had dwelled on them. She tried to talk to her daughter about the issue, but the girl never provided many more details and couldn't provide the names of the school where she was supposed to be attending or the names of any teachers. But the phrase, the sisters, stuck with her, indicating, assuming, that these are somehow real memories that her daughter was almost certainly referring to a Catholic school, which would, you know, explained the white shirts and dark skirts, too. Um, the family is not religious, and the child had not had any exposure to churches prior to these events. Even She even looked up the location of the Catholic schools in the area and came up with an excuse to drive her daughter around to them, and she didn't recognize any of them. I wonder what was at the school before. I wonder if they did any of that, you know, researched what was at this school. Was there a church before that school? Um, she was telling our mutual friend um, about all this when he suggested that she contact me. She agreed and was willing to let me report on her experience if, if her privacy could, privacy could be assured. She also asked if I had any advice um, how to proceed or if it would be better to simply drop it. I did some checking and found out there are university studies taking place that treat the subject of possible past life memories seriously and suggested that she contacted one of them for more professional advice. One such program 
among several, is underway at the University of Virginia of School of Medicine, where they're doing similar work. Unfortunately, nothing from this woman's stories offers any hard specific details to check against the historical records, unlike some of the more famous cases I noted above. But when the woman suggested that the failure of a daughter to recognize any of the Catholic schools within driving distance of her home might indicate that these were false memories. From where, though? I mean, I don't know. That I felt compelled to point out that other well-researched case involved the person's second life beginning far from where the last one took place, potentially not even in the same country. Perhaps the child will remember more in the future. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think that past life, I mean, that that one child that James there, he when he was talking about being a, fire, a World War II fire pilot, that is such an interesting story. If, like I said, if you haven't heard about it, go check it out because it is so freaking cool. Um, and, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you, now, my belief is that we all live in different timelines. You know what I mean? Um, like, I'm living a different life in other timelines, right? I mean, if there is a way that paranormal, UFO, encrypted timelines or whatever can touch, I'm sure that these timelines, our timelines, can touch and become transparent um, at some point in time. Hell, there, I mean, when we do paranormal investigations, I believe that a lot of the spirit activity that people encounter is other timelines living where they live now. I don't believe it's actual. I mean, some of it, yes, can be actual spirits of people past, but it's just different timelines happening at once. You know, so that shadow figure you see could be just somebody walking in their own home and then see you there and go, like, what the hell? They're in their own timeline going, what the hell is that? And it's you. They just can't see you because you're a shadow figure in their world. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities, right? All right, let's go on to the next. So our next story is about the paranormal, the occult, and the supernatural. Sometimes they combine with government agencies. While many people, billions in fact, hold deep, cherished beliefs that it comes to the issue of life or death and all-powerful gods or goddess, there is no doubt at all that religion can be used for a tool of control. Very true, right? And very often, does via two particular issues, fear and guilt. The fear angle revolves around what you may personally think will happen to you if you don't go to church, or if you do not recognize the existence of an all-powerful creator. The guilt is prompted by doing those that your own religious book of choice tells you that you shouldn't do. There are 
other ways in which religion has been used as a tool of manipulation. But in a very novel, strange, disturbing, and even dangerous fashion. We'll begin with a classified program that was born out of the heart of the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA for short. The program is known as Operation Often, and it was created in the 1960s. It still exists to this day under a still classified new name, the idea was to try and use certain aspects of religion to disrupt or even destroy the enemy. Now, in the 60s, that enemy would have been the Russians. Today, it still would be. And with North Korea thrown in the mix, too, no doubt the process was, to say the least, alarming. Operation Often plans involved trying to utilize the supernatural power of demons yes, real demons, to attack the enemy. Sound unbelievable? It almost is. Now, I mean, it, you, if you think about it, okay, say, like, North Korea. A lot of their people, a lot of North Koreans do not know about our military, how big our military is, because the dictatorship, or whatever, I forget what they're called over there. Um, anyway, the leader tells them that they have a bigger army than we do, that they have bigger milita militaries. They have more tanks, more rockets, more than we do. And because of the way everything works over there, they believe it. Well, if you don't believe it, you might get killed. I don't know. Um, but that's how it works over there. Um, I've seen many, you know, and who is to say? I mean, who really, who is to say that U.S. Have, has a bigger army than anybody or military presence than anybody? I mean, we've seen it, yes, but is that really true? <laughs> crazy if you think about it really go go research some of things that North Korea has told their people that isn't true and they have no way of finding out the truth because certain programs can't be seen over there you know obviously our stuff can't be seen over there so I mean they're only going by what they're told this is the one person more than any other who sought the, to bring the operation off into life was a man named Sidney Gutlib. Interestingly, Sidney was someone who was a major player in the CIA's mind control theme project, MKUltra, about which we've seen a great deal, right? Sidney was a brilliant man, someone who recognized the importance of thinking outside the box, and particularly so, when it came to matters relative to control and manipulation, Sidney was the perfect person to get Operation Often off the ground. But let's back up a bit and take a look at the year, earlier years of Gottlieb's life. So, Sidney Gottlieb um, possessed a brilliant mind that much is, uh, that much is obvious as in the 1940s, he obtained a Ph.D. 
in chemistry from California Institute of Technology. As the 1940s became the 1950s, he was given one of those offers that are very hard to refuse, and particularly so when that same offer comes from the highest levels of the CIA. It was a position that saw Gottlieb take on a lofty and powerful job as head of the chemical division of the CIA's technical service staff. It was from within this particular office that Gottlieb oversaw numerous controversial programs. They included researches into hypnosis, mind manipulation, mind control, fabricating alien encounters by dosing people with hallucinogenic substances, and even created slaves like assassins, people skilled in killing people and making it look like a suicide or an accident, and who, as a result of having been programmed by MKUltra, would follow every order and dirty and deadly deed given to them. It was a direct result of the success Gottlieb had in the field of manipulating the human mind, which led him to run Operation Often more than a decade after he began working at the CIA. The offer was put into Gottlieb by Richard Helms. At the time, Helms was a director or the CIA of the CIA, which was one of the most powerful jobs within the U.S. government. It still is. Far more than satisfied with Gottlieb's work in mind control, Helms arranged for a behind-the-closed-doors meeting with Gottlieb to discuss a very different program, but which still had its issues of control and manipulation very much evidenced. Gottlieb sat and listened, listened as Helms outlined the plan. Having worked on the fabrication of certain UFO events, Gottlieb was fully aware that the CIA was willing to go to some very weird lengths to achieve its goals. Even Gottlieb um, found his, this new program almost unbelievable. The idea was to take the worst parts of the domains of the afterlife and regions, demons, curses, and supernatural powers, and use them against America's biggest threat. Although astounded, Gottlieb took, eagerly took on the challenge. Financing to the amount of $150,000 was immediately given to the program, and Operation Often was up and running. As amazing as that may sound, although the program was definitely the creation of the CIA, not all of its members were in the employ of the agency. In fact, many of them weren't even a part of the U.S. Intelligence Committee. Drafted into the program and required to set, sign releases, forms, and take secret oaths were priests, experts in the field of demonology, Satanists, psychics, and even tarot readers. The plan was for any and all of these people, when needed, to offer their secret services to Uncle Sam. And they certainly did that. There is no doubt that the most disturbing, sinister aspect of the work undertaken by Operation Often was that which was dealt with ways to cause death, but making it look like something far more innocent in nature. Now, on several occasions, attempts were made to try and summon up ancient Babylonian demons 
even to the point of trying to enrage in what can only be termed um, packs. Of course, it was not a case of such demonic, demonic things literally materializing in the offices of the CIA. Rather than demonologists brought on board would try and contact such paranormal monsters in a mind-to-mind -mind fashion. In some cases, they claimed it worked. The demonologist said that they had successfully got a message across. Needless to say, such packs scarcely even turned out to have positive results. And that was the same for Operation Often. There were deaths on the program, deaths that couldn't be explained, and at least they couldn't be explained in conventional terms. There were even more controversial rumors, all suggesting that they had been some sort of success. The supernatural entities that Operation Often's team successfully called forth agreed to take the lives of whoever was the team, whatever, whoever the person was that the team wanted gone. Russian officials, spies of the KGB, Chinese officials, the list went on and on. But there was always a cost to Operation Often. Which is why, eventually, this aspect of the project was shut down. The cost was seen as being just too great. Clearly, the demonic thing had no love for either side. Duh. <laughs> they just maliciously and evilly enjoyed taking out both. Of the many and varied people who agreed to become on board with the operation often was, wow, I just read this for the first time and it surprises me. One was an English woman named Sybil Leake. She was a witch who penned many books, including the Sybil Leake Book of Fortune Telling, Sybil's Leake Book of Curses, Star Speak, and Moon Signs. And being, before being drafted in operation often in the late 60s, Leake had a long and intriguing life in England, most of which was based around her fascination for witchcraft. Leake was brought in to the witchy old religion-driven fold by her father when she was just a child. She was immediately drawn to the supernatural and allured that beckoned and was taught in ways of a witch by a secondary family member, Leek's grandmother, who had a lifelong exposure to the black arts. One of those Leek got to know well was the infamous occultist Alistair Crowley who died in 1947. In fact, it was Crawley who suggested that young Sybil should take up writing. Clearly, she followed his suggestion, and although she was born in the center part of England, Leek soon traveled, got the travel book, while she was, got the travel bug, I'm thinking, while she was still in her teens, um, so she joined a French witch coven after which she had put down its roots in the New Forest, a vast area of woodland in the southern, in the south of England. In fact, her home was in the forest. Indeed, she lived a definitely wild life. While living and lurking in the hearts of those enchanting woods, Leek achieved the position of high priestess um, of what's called the Nine Covens Council, and also got to know a man named Gerald Gardner. Hello? 
Okay, sorry folks, if you are listening on the YouTube side of this, this is part two of the podcast about somebody came into my house. Unfortunately, when you're recording with OBS, you don't have a pause button like Odyssey um, or Audacity or whatever it's called. Um, so I had to leave to go check, but it was just a dog coming to sit by the door. <laughs> But usually I hear his nails, and I didn't hear his nails this time. So it sounded like somebody walking up to my door. But anyway, like I was saying, she met Gerald Gardner. It's interesting to note that Gardner, who is one of the most influential people. Oh, let me just say, too, if you're listening on the podcast, you shouldn't have a break. It should play all the way through. Um, this is only for the YouTube side. But anyway, um. An interesting note that Gardner, who was one of the most influential people in the field of Wicca, was secretly hired by the British intelligence at the height of the Second World War, chiefly to see if the supernatural power of the witch might go some way toward defeating Adolf Hitler. It became known as Operation Cone of Power. Gardner informed his intelligence contacts of Leake's skills and as a result, she was hired to create faked horoscopes to try and affect the moral of the Nazis, who were, to um, a large degree, deeply driven by horoscopes. You know that Ad Adolf Hitler and Scotland and all them, they were, you know, totally into the occult. Um, so that... Alistair Crowley also worked for British intelligence in the First World War, and that he was friends with Leake almost, and that he was friends with Leake almost certainly led to the government's decision to bring Leake on board. In all probability, too, it was Leake's quite significant ties to the British government, to top secret programs, and to the religious of the old. Um, religions of the old, which led her to become a candidate for Operation Often, her area of expertise being the creation and sending of curses. Now, Operations, office, or operations Often work from the latter part of the 1960s to the early 70s is known to a small degree. The data above accounting was just all about what is known outside of the official secret circles. Post approximately 71 to 72, though, the picture becomes a murkier still, um, to the extent that aside from a few whispered confirmations that the program is still around, very little is known of its work in the field of religion, old and new. There is, however, another group that is performing an almost identical task, it goes by the nickname of the Collins Elite. Is it is that's its official title, completely unknown outside of the U.S. government. Unlike Operation Often, we don't know how long the Collins Elite has been in existence. In some form, at least, it appears it has been around since the 1950s, but at a time when it, very little work was undertaken. Back then, it was very much a think tank a think tank type organization, which um, on the occasion 
had occasional meetings here and there. It appears, though, that the program upped its work and status in the 1970s when the project became much more ambitious and in its activities and goals. Um, we would very likely not known of Colin Elite were it not for one man, and that man is Ray Bolsch. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. It could be Bocce. I don't know. But anyway, he was what may well be a unique background. Not only is Bocce a practicing priest, he is also a dedicated UFO researcher. Indeed, back in the 80s, Boshin was state director for MUFON. Um, oh, he was the state director for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, the largest, of course, UFO research group in the United States. In November of 1991, Bosch was secretly approached by a Paris um, physicist <laughs> working on a highly classified project, U.S. Department of Defense project that, just like Operation Often in the late 60s, and was certainly through to at least the early 70s, was focused around trying to contact demonic beings and attempting to understand and replicate their power, all for military gain. Yes, it was another deranged program that promised not much danger and disaster. It was on November, November 25th that a meeting took place in a hotel in Bosch's home city of Lincoln, Nebraska. As Bosch sat and listened, his two DOD deep throats um, revealed the full story. Elements of the U.S. government were providing significant funding to contact what in official terms were known as non-human entities or NHEs regardless of the fancy name they were demons and nothing more, nothing less. Interestingly, the Collins elite believe that the entire UFO phenomenon is de demonic that demonic entities try and convince us that they are really extraterrestrials, that there is no God, and that the world's history of religion is a ruse. In that sense, it's the NHEs which are controlling and manipulating the domain of religion. Bosch's inform informants that there had been some very weird and incredibly violent deaths on the program, including the death of one technician whose skull was inexplicably crushed into pieces by unseen supernatural forces. Of course, that's Rosemary Ellen Gully. Um, such was the concern that over dust, which underneath the picture says uh, she was someone who knew the connections between ufology and demonology, which a lot of people do say that UFOs are, are demonic. The aliens are demonic. We've heard that many, many times, right? Such is the concern over these deaths, which reportedly occurred in the latter part of 1990, a facility in Virginia that worked um, of the Collins Elite increased dramatically, hence why Bosch had visited in 1991, to try and help thwart whatever it was that the group had recklessly unleashed. The highest-ranking figures in the military were informed of what was afoot. This is in 1991. That's crazy. 
as the most senior officials within the world of American intelligence. Intriguingly, and for the most part, the White House was left out of the loops. Of course it was. <laughs> it may have been a case of what the president doesn't know won't hurt him. So if the president was out of the loop, why was Bush in the loop? Almost certainly because of his links to the both church and UFOs, something which put him in undeniably unique position. As the group expanded its work, it began to look back in time, even to the point of the staff immersing themselves into ancient books and manuscripts, all in the efforts to try and understand the nature of demonic phenomenon and how to harness it, if such a thing was possible. So these books included Reginald Thompson's Devils and Evil Spirits of Babylonia, Edward um, Langton's Essentials of Demonology, and John Deacon and John Walker's 1601 publication, um, Dialogical Discourse of Spirits and Devils. Most disturbing is where the Collins Elite is today, at least up until the early 90s, the group was doing its best to understand and utilize demic, demon, demonic. I can't talk today. I'm so sorry. The group was doing its best to understand and utilize demonic phenomenon and powers. Since then, however, they appear to have taken a very different approach. Today, they are of the belief that no good whatsoever can come from trying to deal with supernatural, dangerous entities that all want us dead, not just the enemies of the United States. The Collins elite approach today is not just different, but it's downright dangerous, too. They're now of the opinion that only thing that can prevent what they believe is a potentially looming Armageddon of nuclear proportions is to infuse the public in doctrines, who would be better and far more accurate term to use to complete or to come around to the idea that belief in God is the only weapon that will work. Most controversial of all, the Collins elite is not against the idea of forcefully indoctrinating people with Old Testament-type teachings all across the United States. Now, in the eyes of the Collins elite, controlling the mindset of American public and having the entire population living in the fear of God situation is the only way to save them. Not a positive idea at all. Crazy, right? What the hell is this shit? I mean, seriously. What is that shit? Wow. Very, very crazy. And to think that that's still around today. Somewhere. Right? Man, I tell you, it is very crazy. All right, on to our last story. What do you guys think about that? Seriously, I mean, do you think the UFO situation in whole is demonic? I know a lot of people do. I honestly don't think it is. Um, that's just the way, that's my opinion. I mean, you know, it's just my opinion. Um, but it's crazy to me that they were doing all this stuff 
I wonder, you know, I might have to research a little bit more because I wonder if when they were doing that, is that when the barring of tarot readers and supernaturalists and stuff like that was barred in the United States, in some states still barred, um, like people can honestly petition, like if I was to open a store here, right? A witchcraft store. People can on, honestly write to Congress or write to whatever and have me kicked out. It's happened. I've been friends with people that it it's happened to. Not here in New York, um, but in other states. And they can be banned and barred from opening witchcraft stores. And they use the, the terminology, you know, that it's not scientific it's not proven it's kind of like what we have to write on our podcast the statement that this is all entertainment I wonder if that's when that began because they didn't want the real people I mean Sibylique and and Aleister Crowley obviously you know um they uh dabbled in dark arts and stuff like that but what I'm saying is I wonder if they stopped all of the people that used, I for all intent purposes, what? White magic, right? That's what people call it. White magic, light magic, good magic, whatever. It's all gray to me. But anyway, um, that's just my opinion too. But like, I wonder if that's when they stopped letting all the good, and I say that with quotation marks, um, which is, got banned, so these people can spread that message of evil. Hmm. Definitely something to look into. All right, and our last story for today, and I'm going to tell you, I wasn't thinking about doing this, but I came across this article because I, I when I research I not only research on um excuse me um news sites and all that I, I check out forum boards because I like picking people's brains I like knowing what people think I want to hear what interesting topics people come up with and uh, forum boards are one of those things that's why I like Love that I'm moving all my forum boards to Discord because you can say whatever the hell you want on there. Um, as long as it's respectful, at least on my board. You know you know how I run my stuff. Um, but I came across this forum, forum board, right? And it's called Critical Believers. And I came across this and it said, The TV and your computer monitors can be used to manipulate your nervous system. Here is the proof. Read it and weep. Right? Now, we all know, at least if you've grown up in the 80s, we all know about the subliminal messages um, in drive-ins and movie theaters, the secret little showing of food so you get hungry and buy their products. We all heard that growing up, right? At least I did. Um, everybody I know knew about it. But... This got me thinking. My brain has been going thinking, and I'm not going to apologize for how my mind works, 
because my mind works in a way that I guess to keep me safe, I guess. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but there is a lot of ideas that popped into my head when I read this. Okay. And I'm going to bring up. Let me see. Do I have it? I don't. I just have it on there. Oh, no, I do. This image. Okay. This image, and if you're on podcast, obviously, this is all be on my Discord, um, but it's also on the YouTube under the video. This is the image of how the nervous system is manipulated by electronic magnetic fields from monitors. Now, this is picture is from a patent, an actual patent. Um, number 6506148. The summary of it is basically computer monitors and TV monitors can be made to admit weak, low-frequency electromagnetic fields merely by pulsing the intensity of the display images. Experience, experiments have shown that the half hertz sensory renaissance can be excited in this manner in a subject near the monitor. The 2.4 hertz sensory renaissance can also be excited in this fashion. Hence, a TV monitor or computer monitor can be used to manipulate the nervous system of nearby people. It is the, thus apparent that the human nervous system can be manipulated by screen emission from subliminal TV image pulses. The human nervous system controls, of course, everything from breathing and producing digestive enzymes to memory and intelligence. Okay? With that being said, so I, I pulled up this article, and now... This one, I, I kind of skimmed over it, but it's more talking about um, when we watch TV or we are around electronics, there are positive ions that come into, you know, your space and kind of drag you down and stuff like that. That's why they say go outside, get some vitamin D, get some, you know, and we'll talk about that in this article here. Um, and this is a new article that I pulled up, so I'll, it'll be in the description at the time that I upload this video. But um, I, I've gone deeper with this <laughs> because I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that came to mind when I was thinking about this. I've been ranting and raving to myself all day about this when I started reading it. But anyway... Like I said, we all know that subliminal messages can do shit to you, right? But I didn't know it was this extent, or this, this extent, what the hell's that word even? Um, To this extent, okay? says, you are mind-controlled. Someone is always watching you everywhere. What consumes your mind the entire day controls your life slowly but surely. It's deadly. Binging on Netflix and Prime videos or playing video games the entire day will have a negative impact on your mental and physical health and well-being. 
It may seem nothing on binging Netflix or Prime Video or playing video games for a few hours straight, but little did you know that your sensory cortex and body's nervous system, including your brain chemicals, are being altered without you being aware of it. You know that people who always watch television programs or binging on Netflix and Prime Video in front of their screens and playing video games the entire day, their mental behavior and nervous systems are being manipulative? Well, that's what you just told us. Now, listen, don't stop listening here because I'm not preaching, okay? I'm not preaching at all. I want you to be aware of this stuff, okay? This has nothing, binge watch, I don't care, binge watch. I freaking do. Do what you want to do, right? But a patent was approved in 2003 to manipulate human nervous systems and mental behavior through electromagnetic radiation. Yes, a patent. Um, like I said, 6506148B2, and I, that's down in the description below um, in the info, so you can look it up and read it because I, I do have the PDF right here, the patent on it and everything um obviously for time purposes i'm not going to read it all but uh there are some points that i want to bring out anyway hendrix i don't hendrix g los has filed multiple patents applications with success that dealt with manipulation of the human nervous system via a computer screen or television monitor in his studies he explains Psychological effects have been observed in a human subject in response to the stimulation of the skin with weak electromagnetic fields that are pulsed with certain frequencies near half hertz or 2.4 hertz, such as excited, excite a sensory renaissance. Many computer monitors and TV tubes, when displaying pulsed images, emit pulsed electromagnetic fields of sufficient, sufficient aptitudes to cause such excite excitation. It is therefore possible to manipulate the service system of a subject by pulsing images displayed on a nearby computer monitor or TV set. For the latter, the image pulsing may be embedded in the program material or may be overlaid by modulating a video stream, either as an RF signal or a video signal. The image displayed on a computer monitor may be pulsed effectively by a simple computer program. For certain monitors, pulsed electromagnetic, electromagnetic fields capable of exciting sensory renaissance in nearby subjects may be generated even as the display images are pulsed and sublimely intensified. Okay? Now, he also said, uh, or the, pa the patent explains that even weak pulse will have an adverse effect on the human nervous system. Then he also explained that the pulse veritably and strength can be controlled via software and explained how the regards to computer monitors, DVDs, videotapes, etc. can be remotely controlled by another or from another location. Certain monitors can emit electromagnetic field pulses that excites a sensory renaissance in a nearby subject through Im image pulses that are so weak as to be subliminal. Now, 
this is where my mind goes with this, okay? <laughs> and bear with me because it's a lot. Um, like I said, I've been going over this since I read this article this morning. And I was just like, excuse me? Now, mind you, this patent, the other publications are from 1958. We got one from 1991, um, 1956, 1953. I mean, they've been studying this shit for a while, right? This is all that I just read in the other article. But going down, like I said, it shows everything, how it works and stuff like that. They give a list. Okay. So, basically it says, one, a method for manipulating the nervous system of the subject located near the monitor. The monitor emitting an electromagnetic, and just repeating everything that was just said, right, basically. So, this is the source of the video stream of the claim 10. Within the source is a DVD. All right. So my mind goes to basically what if, like, people are giving interviews? Say, we'll do the UFO, right? Um, people in the UFO community. Say there's a disinformant, okay? And I want somebody to answer this because I am, I'm going to research it more, obviously. But like right now, my mind is freaking blown, okay? Like if they can do this from a remote place, right? Who's to say, okay, like paranormal investigators, we have an EMF pump, right? An EM pump works, basically, it gives the, supposedly gives the ener the spirit more energy to come make contact. Whatever gives the energy to be seen or to um, give us voices on EVPs. So basically an EMF pump produces an electromagnetic field in the environment, giving paranormal entities an opportunity to communicate or manifest. Like in the present moment, right? Now, you can't hear EMF pumps. I mean, they do vibrate, at least the one that I had vibrated a little. But you, like, if I set it down and walked away, I couldn't hear it. I didn't know it was on. Um, you know, unless I turned it on myself. But if, like, another person was to set it there and turned it on, I wouldn't know unless I looked at the red light, right? You can't hear it. You can't feel it. Whatnot. I mean, obviously, you might be able to feel it. <laughs> but... Like, not in a way that would be, like, shocking to you, right? But, so, my, here goes my mind. My mind's thinking, okay, so, you have disinformants in the UFO community, right? And I'm not saying who or what, I have no clue. I can say yes to a couple, not, I, no, let me backtrack. I couldn't say yes to a couple. I'm always on the fence with everybody. That's who I am, Right? Um, not to say that uh, there's a lack of trust, but I don't know these people from, you know, a paper hole in the bag. Um, so I don't know whether to trust them or not. So I take, I'm always on the fence. I take what I think they might, could be lying about and dismiss it and think what could be real 
and keep it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? All right, so here's my theory. What if these people, these disinformant people, are going on interviews, whether it be YouTube, whether it be news media like CNN or, you know, or they're giving interviews on podcasts or Facebook or whatnot, and they have this little device like an EMF pump, right, that they're playing that's going through their microphones, we wouldn't know, but emitting these things that to hype us up because that's what this is talking about. Like this is supposed to like get us excited about things, right? So they want UFO, UFO people to stumble in over my words because I'm excited. Um, not in a good way, right? But um, so they're telling us about UFO people wanting UFO people to get stirred up, right? And look even more crazier than we look in, in the normal world, right? So they start saying all this stuff with this pump, like, right by their mic. And we're wondering why we're getting so excited about this news that they're spewing. And it's because of this shit. Is that possible? Somebody tell me if that's possible. I'm sure it is. If they've been working on shit like this since 1953, this is 2023. You know what I mean? I I mean, I know they have stuff. I've seen it. Well, not personally. But, you know, like, I've watched documentaries and shit like that. I know that they have, like, I don't know if it's the CIA, at some form of government, has an instrument where they can, you know, be a hundred yards away and talk to you and you think you're hearing God's voice in their head in your head. Kind of like the Havana syndrome as well. You know what I mean? So like who's to say these people that are trying to help us with UFOs don't have a device that can steer us either way while giving interviews. Does that make sense? Or am I just going nuts? That's the way I look at this thing. Because, I mean, this, I'm not going to lie. Reading into this patent, and like I said, the link's in the description. This is fucking with our nervous system. Right? This is messing with our nervous system. And according to this article, they're like, and I don't even know. I, I'm, I, yes, I love my science and I love learning about the human body and that. But it says, you think it's normal to have an emotional reaction? It's not normal. The fuck does that mean? It says, there are a reason why airplanes and hospitals ban the use of cell phone. It's because the electromagnetic transmissions interfere with critical electrical devices. The brain is no different. It's a bioelectric organ that ex that's extremely complex and generates electric fields. Well, we know that, right? So it doesn't surprise us. Scientists can actually control brain functions with transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS for short, a technique that uses powerful pulses of elect electromagnetic radiation beamed into a person's brain to jam or excite particular brain circuits. This is the same type of thing described in the patient. 
so that they were experimenting this par this um patent on is what they're talking about. So to what extent are computer monitors and television screens are doing this? This is why, for example, when somebody turns on their Sony PlayStation, the screen warns them to read the important health information before playing. Research has also shown that simple cell phone transmissions can affect a person's brainwave quite significantly, which is turns lead to effects on the behavior as well. Like, I mean, this is stuff we know, right? We already know this. I'm not naive when it comes to stuff like this. But now, you know, I'm thinking what more can they do with that? What more can they do with that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It says electronic... Electromagnetic radiation can have an effect on mental behavior when transmitting at the proper frequency. Putting it bluntly, they're damaging the living cells in our bodies and killing many of us prematurely. So, you know, and it also goes on to say, do you know that when your body is overloaded with positive ions, which we call cations, you tend to fall sick having body inflammation and body's immune system is weakened. Like, I know this because of the fact that when people sage something, okay, I'm sorry to all the paranormal investigators. I mean, unless you get it for from, like, real Native Americans um, who have put the intent in there, you can buy sage and put your intent in there, no problem. I mean, okay. But why a room feels lighter after people sage, and, I, and I'm just talking about the ones that make money from this shit, right? And make people believe that the sage is getting rid of demonic entities. Um, sage lets off negative ions, which in turn balances our negative and positive ions. So if a place feels heavy and it's full of electronical shit, like my bedroom, right? This is where I do my podcast from and everything. It has my TV running, my computer running, two monitors running, everything, my mic running, you know what I mean? Everything's on, and it gets heavy in here sometimes. But if I was to burn sage, it would lighten up because it's getting rid of, rid of all those positive ions. So I get that point of view. I get that. What I'm saying, though, is what else can they fucking do in these interviews and going on TV and these YouTube right? I don't know. You guys tell me. Please. <laughs> Please and thank you. I'd really appreciate it. What's your thoughts on this shit? Seriously, what is your thoughts? It says, putting it bluntly, they're damaging you. Well, I already read that part. Um, we have created something that is harming us and get it's getting out of control. Before Edison's light bulb, there was very little electromagnetic radiation in our environment. 
the levels today are very many times higher than natural background levels and are growing rapidly because of all the new devices that emit radiation. Is this why it's such a push to, I mean, we, we've done it to ourselves, right? But is this a push why everybody pushes the iPhone and Samsung? You know, like, I only say that because they're the two top, right? Why they push everybody to get a cell phone. Um, it manipulates our DNA. But my biggest thing is, and I, I agree, it's bad. It's bad. You know, that's why, like, people tell me all the time when I go sit by water, I go, I daze out. Because I do. Because I just, it radiates me. And I love sitting by the water and listening to the waves go by. It's beautiful sound. And it calms me. My anxiety is not up as much. Right? But if these things are being beamed into our brains by disinformant agencies. Do you see where I'm going with this? Or am I just going loony? I mean, that could be possible as well. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I am loony. I'm not going to lie. But it just it got me thinking. And I was going off on myself all day today after I read this article thinking, well, what the hell? Is this why when we watch news, I mean, yes, it is depressing. Because they talk about, like, all this stuff to where you watch in certain TV series about love. Either, like, you'll cry due to the sad ending or get angry because of how the men cheated on their girl in the relationship. Or you'll be happy because the couple got happily married and are going on their happily ever after, right? And you wish that girl too. Or if you watch like programs like singing competitions or dancing competitions, right? Or any other reality show. In the back of your mind, you're either wishing that you were as talented and capable as the person who's like performing this. Or you're judging nonstop at the back of your mind on how bad they sang or how bad the performance is. Right? And it's the same thing with video games. Video games, if you play them the entire day, all you want to do is fight till you win. And when you don't, you get frustrated, angry, or anxious. If I, I'm not like that with video games, unless I have to repeat things over and over again. I don't like repeating things. <laughs> That's just a normal thing in my life. I don't like repeating. But if I have to repeat the same, I'll get sick and I'll get physically sick. And almost like motion sickness sick um, because that's how I manifest my anger, I guess, because I pull it in instead of let it out. Um, so I'll have to leave playing the game for a while. Um, but if they're manipulating shit like this, I mean, obviously it's already in these video games and TV shows and stuff like that. What are they doing outside of that in, like, interviews that we're watching and taking all in? You see what I'm saying? Who's to say, like, they're not, like, for instance, say we're going to war, right? 
and the president obviously wants the American people on their side, and I'm not saying this is done. I'm not saying this at all. I'm just, this is how my brain thinks. So, you know, in the very little minor waves that they're sending out, while the president is making the speech about us going to war and people dying, they're playing like the Star Spangled Banner to get our, you know what I mean, patriotic, intense feelings up and stuff like that. Is that what they've been doing? Sending out this shit to make us feel like that? It's very, I don't know, guys. What do you think? See, this is where I wish I could go live so I could talk to you guys. Um, but I want to know what you think. With that being said, this has been today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. Please, either join the, disco the, the Discovery. Yeah, join the Discovery. Join the Discord or the Shadows in the Moon group on Facebook. Let me know what you guys think. I really want you, to, I really, especially, you know, I always love hearing what you guys think. But I really want to know what you guys think about this mind control shit. Um, I mean, we know that they're capable. We know. Is that what's going on? At least in the UFO community. Is that why everybody's fighting? This is what I think about. You know, maybe it's not just people arguing over simple shit. They're just putting this out there to make us go crazy. I don't know. All right, guys. Leave me a comment. You know, like, subscribe, share out the podcast. I would really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry that it was in two parts today. You know, what can I say? <laughs> I don't lock my doors when I do my podcast. So, you know, anybody can walk in and that's what I thought was happening. Um, But no. It was just Chief making his way because my door was shut and he wanted to be by me, so he laid by the door. But anyway, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care, be safe, and remember, find something today that makes you smile with your eyes. Love you guys. Mwah.